The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning. My name is Jacob Wishoff, and I'm an elder here at The Refuge Church. And this morning's kind of a sobering morning for me. Um, I'd like to start out our time by praying for the Father's not only in our congregation, but outside of our congregation, and for those that have not come to know the Lord yet. I'm thinking specifically about my father, who I love so very much, but has not made a decision for Jesus. But I have faith that in time, he will see Jesus, and he will come to him. And on that day, I plan to celebrate like no man has ever celebrated before. So let's pray. Father, We just thank you so much for this morning, a morning that we celebrate fathers and fatherhood and talk about fathers and fatherhood. I thank you that you are a good father and that you love us. And that isn't because of what we do or the great things that we say or the things that we're a part of, God, but it's because that is your nature, that you are a father that is faithful to his children God, I lift up the parents of the people that come here, the fathers, specifically this morning, that may not know you, and I ask that you would draw them near to you. I pray for my own father, God, that you would awaken him to his senses to see and know that you are the one true God, and that he would live for you, Father. Teach us about you this morning, Father. And may you be glorified and lifted up by our worship and awe of you. We thank you. In your son's name, amen. So I was actually dreading preaching this morning because I had a lot of thoughts that were kind of rushing through my head and I feel like the enemy was working overtime to make me feel uncomfortable. I was really locked up in my thoughts and my worries, like what would I say or how would I convey my thoughts or who could relate to me? Because I've only been a parent for 13 years and in my mind, that's not very long. And if I'm being completely honest, it wasn't until quarantine that I started to step up a little more because I feel like until that moment, I was actually kind of slacking on my fatherly duties. But however, since quarantine, I've realized that I have a new passion for playing war, reading book series together with Scarlett watching ridiculous YouTube videos and bouncing Lola on my knee as she laughs and smiles at me. So I wanted to say this morning before we get started that Scarlett, Sydney, Samuel, and Lola, I am your dad, and although we haven't always felt like a close-knit family, we have time, and I'd like to honor you with more of my time. Many fathers are known for a lot of things, such as fixing things that are broken or helping children with homework, practicing sports, protecting their children, providing financially for their children, and doing everything in their power to make sure that they can live a life that they never were able to live when they were children. And I have a lot of memories with my father, and I thought I would share one as we lead into the text this morning. I remember a time when I was around the age of 12 or 13 years old, and I had been at football practice, and I was messing around with the other boys. Boys like, our, like us spent our time reenacting our favorite wrestling moves that we saw on television. And I remember that there was a group 
of about 10 of us that were fully padded who were wrestling right outside the football field and we were all just jumping on each other and putting each other in moves. And when I talk about wrestling holds or wrestling moves, I'm not talking about the real stuff. I'm talking about the stuff that you see on late night television that is much, much more dangerous. And as we were wrestling, I remember clear as day that Jason Rosario was on the ground and he was kind of just struggling with somebody And as I watched it, all I could think was how bad I wanted to elbow drop Jason Rosario. And so as I jumped in the air, ready to hit him with a flying elbow drop, as my elbow came down, Jason Rosario's elbow came up. And when I came up, I could feel wind whistling through my mouth. Jason needed stitches And 75% of my front right tooth was buried somewhere inside of Jason Rosario. Immediately, I started to cry. And I repeated this phrase over and over again. I am so ugly. I'm going to be ugly forever. And I was literally crying. Literally crying so hard. Because my tooth was probably about this big. And as I cried on the whole car ride home to see my father, I had the greatest fear in my life. And that was not that I would be ugly forever, but it was that I had a tooth that was broken that my father had to pay for, that if I wouldn't have done what I did, he never would have had to pay for. I ran up the stairs as fast as I could, still crying, of course. And my dad had been the kind of dad who worked 12-hour shifts, so he did two days on and two days off, and he was sleeping while I was at football practice to get ready for work that night. And as I ran through the door in a hurry, I opened the door, and I go, Dad, Dad, look at my mouth. I'm so ugly. I'm so sorry. And I'm just overwhelmed with this sadness. And my dad just quickly takes me into his arms and quickly reassured me and responded, Jake, that's an easy fix. Technology is so advanced today that people will never know that you were missing part of your front tooth. But the problem wasn't that he, so um, the problem wasn't that I, he had to pay for the tooth. The next problem that came up was the fact that I had to go to school the next day and I didn't want to be seen missing my front tooth. So my father, in his great mercy, allowed me to sit at home and do my homework assignments until my tooth was fixed. And while I thought he was going to be upset and angry with me, he wasn't. And much like the story I told you, today I want to focus on a father's compassion towards his son or to his children. And so the big question that I have for you today is, why do we need compassionate fathers? And the big idea is, Compassion is an invitation to restoration. The majority of our text this morning is going to come from Luke 15, 11 through 32. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And this is a familiar story that a lot of us have heard time and time again. But as I was thinking of a father's compassion, I saw this story in a completely new light. It was easy for me to focus on the son that was returning... But today, I want to bring the Father into view, and I want to draw some thoughts of a Father's compassion from this story. You see, the Pharisees and the tax collectors had joined 
around Jesus to hear his teaching. And he began to talk to them and tell them parables about the kingdom of heaven and about the Father. And so we enter a story of a man who has two sons. One son is younger and one son is older. The younger son goes to his father and asks him for a portion of his father's estate. So the father takes his estate and divides it between his two sons. And then the younger son receives all the wealth his father has given him and immediately packs up all his belongings and this wealth and moves to a different country. The younger son is separating himself from the family that he has been in to prove that he can make it on his own. That same son, after moving to a new country, squanders the wealth that his father had given him with prostitutes and reckless living. And not too long after that, a famine had hit the land. So being broke and not having the necessities that he needed to survive, he found himself in great need where he would have to go and hire himself out to a citizen of this new country. And the new boss that he receives immediately puts him to work feeding his pigs. And while he was feeding the pigs, he thought about how he wanted to eat the food that they had given the pigs, but nobody would give him anything. And the son in his struggles comes to a place where he realizes that he has finally hit rock bottom, that the wealth was gone and he had no longer anything to offer anyone or any way to take care of himself, and that his father had servants who had extra food and more than enough to spare. But here he was starving. And so he thought, maybe I would go back to my father, and what I'll do is I'll tell him I'd rather be a hired hand than be a son, because surely I'm unworthy to be a son anymore. But I would be the lowest thing at the table if my dad will only let me back. When the son had set out to throw himself at the father's mercy as a hired hand, the father sees him on the horizon heading back home. And the father immediately does what's unexpected and starts running towards his son where he falls upon his neck and continuously kisses him, celebrating him and his return. And the younger son told him that I am not worthy to be your son. But the father says to his servants, hurry. Go get robes and a ring and some sandals and the fattened calf because we're going to kill it. Because tonight we're going to have a party and celebrate because my son who was once dead is now alive. And that's incredible. So upon hearing music and dancing, the older brother who was working in the field had become angry and bitterness had filled his heart. And the older brother had told his father, I've been with you this entire time. Yet you didn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. But the father responds to him and says, Everything that I have had was always yours and always will be yours. But today we are celebrating your brother because he was dead and is now alive and he was lost but now is found. What a newfound appreciation I found for this scripture as I poured over it in preparation for this morning. There are some things that stand out to me and speak to me directly about how compassionate the father in this story is. And I believe it speaks 
two, why we need compassionate fathers. So the first thing that I want you to notice in this story is that a compassionate father allows for teaching moments. When we read the first pieces of this parable, we almost get this view that the father was a pushover or almost negligent. The younger son comes and demands his inheritance from the father and he receives it. However, there are a couple things to keep in mind in this story. One, during this time, the younger son at this point had not been entitled to his inheritance. His father was still alive and he, the son, was not married yet. So because of this, to ask for the inheritance early would have normally been out of the question completely. So the father had to permit his son to have his inheritance and to set out on his own. The second thing I want you to notice is that the younger son asking for and receiving his inheritance before the older son was completely unheard of altogether. The older son's place generally had a great inheritance, which was most often double that of the younger son. And we see evidences of that in Deuteronomy 21.7. But the father, in his great compassion, has permitted the younger son to have his inheritance early. And not only that, but that he was going to set out and he was allowing him to do so. Another factor that's interesting in this case, and almost makes this whole interaction bizarre, is that the father was a good businessman. Check out Luke 15, 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and I am here starving to death? His father had completely taken care of all of the needs of those that were in his care. If this is true, the son had no business leaving the care of his father. If his hired hands had that much in the way of provisions, think about how much more the son would have in comparison. Why wouldn't the father argue with his son to stay put and point out the truth to him? It's because the father, in his great compassion and kindness, allows his son to take his inheritance and set out to see whether the grass is greener in another country as a teaching moment. The son was choosing separation rather than being under the providing care and watch of the father. Doesn't this sound familiar? When we as people walk outside of what God has for us, haven't we experienced our best times of learning? Doesn't God set things up for us, for us to see him as he truly is? And then he patiently waits to see whether we're going to follow him or not. It brought me to Matthew 6, and specifically verses 6, 26 through 28, where God is talking to those sitting around him. Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, and what he does... as he explains the provision of God for God's children. And if you look at verse 26 here, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And then look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus reminds those that are listening that God is taking care of all of the creatures around them and they are not even asking for it. How much greater are you than those creatures? How much better do you think God will take care of you? And if we take it a step further, how much more will God's compassion be for you? Can we trust in his compassion and kindness towards us? A compassionate father allows for teaching moments to see if his children will trust his provision. And the next thing that really stood out to me is that a compassionate father has great patience. There's a lot to wonder about in this passage about the prodigal son because at first we see in the first few verses that the father is very involved in the story. And then there's a chunk of verses where the father kind of slips from the front of the story into the background. And we have to almost wonder what is going on or why that happened and did he leave there and what was he doing in this time? What we don't see is a father standing in front of his son With his arms crossed saying, you can't leave. And we also don't see a father that says, pipe down you little twerp, go back to work. And we'll get to your cut later. We also don't see a father after his son leaves leading an expedition to go get his son. But we see a compassionate father that honors the wishes of his son and who is incredibly patient. Another false idea that we might fall into is that the father allowed his son to leave And after he had left, he forgot all about him or continued business as usual. Almost as if he was free of the burden of fathership. And this is not the father's position. Because if you look at verse 20, Luke 15, 20 says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. If you cross-reference these verses of the father kissing his son, you're led to a place in Genesis where you see Joseph as his brothers are coming down to Egypt and they're going to trade to get the things they need for their home. And as they come to see him, they don't realize that it's their brother. And when he finally comes out to them, you have to remember that his brothers, these are the same brothers who tried to kill him, who threw him in a pit, who sold him into slavery. But his response when he saw his brothers and knew that his brothers were alive, even though they were wicked and they were so far away from what God had wanted from them, he kissed them and he hugged them because he was so happy to finally be restored with those that he loved. And then they went back and they got his father, who also joined in with them, that celebration of being restored together. Another thought that came to mind when I thought of that was Jacob and Esau and how Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright. And then Esau was coming to see Jacob. And when that happened, Jacob split his tribe out of fear that Esau would not accept him and that Esau was about to engage them in war and that certainly bad things would come. But what ended up happening was that Jacob and Esau were restored back together. Patience. So this is a father 
who I think if we look at the verses after he split the inheritance, we would say almost disappeared or vanished. And I think really what I'm led to believe is that he was mourning and he was longing and waiting and crying out on behalf of his son. And a story that made me think of this was my own family where I recall a time when I was around 22 years of age and I was moving out of my father's house and we got into a great argument. And I remember we were just beat red and we were yelling at each other. And I remember yelling at words that I could never mean. And I also remember coming to his house and I was loading up the items that I owned. And as I did so, I accidentally knocked over his mailbox. And while my dad didn't stand in front of me, he patiently allowed me to go But he also didn't bill me for his mailbox. I later found out that he spent a lot of those nights crying himself to sleep. And he didn't tell me this. My sister did. And while I never returned to live back at home, my dad waited patiently for me to call. And as I did, little by little, we began to talk. And dad, if you're watching, I seriously am so sorry for the things that I put you through. And while I cannot completely understand what you felt the moment that I left. I understand that you have always wanted what's best for me and that I had to learn. I also think of a time where I was disciplining one of my children for talking back to me and my daughter ran upstairs and I went to follow her. And as I went to follow her, she threw a wooden chair down on top of me and this was a full-size adult chair. And when I went upstairs, you know, just feeling like I was seething in anger, something happened where this compassion hit me. And as I went into the bedroom, I asked my daughter to follow me in there and I grabbed her and I said, you come here. And I hugged her and I cried and I said, how could you do this to me? I love you so much, but yet you want to hurt me. Like I've cared for you and I've done everything I could to raise you right, but you want to hurt me. And as I cried and I held my daughter so dearly in my arms, she cried out for her mom because she hated to see me cry because she didn't understand it. How much pain must the father have felt while he knew what his son was doing outside of his farm, outside of his home, outside of his land, that he was off in a different country Recklessly living, spending time with prostitutes, doing things that were not to be talked about. But yet he patiently waited and he cried and he mourned and he hoped that the son would return to him. Isn't it amazing how similar this experience is with the father's patience for us and when we're living outside of the will of the father? It brought to mind the verse in 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understood slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. A compassionate father has great patience as he waits for his children to return to him. And then the next thing I want you to notice is the third point. A compassionate father gives us what we need, not what we deserve. The son is ready to come back as a hired hand. In his heart, he believed that his actions rendered him unworthy to be a son any longer. But what we see literally has to blow our minds. When the son begins to tell his father he was willing to do lower 
jobs and to be lower than a son if he can return. The father immediately does the unexpected. He doesn't drudge up the fat the facts of what has happened up until this moment. Look at verses 22 through 24. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a finger on his finger, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Wouldn't wouldn't the son have deserved a father who would have first pointed out all the flaws and mistakes that his son had made apart from him? Don't you think that what he truly needed was a good lecture of how he lived outside of Christian values? Or maybe he deserved what he was experiencing and so he was going to be allowed to suffer a little longer because he didn't have enough time to feel the effects of the sin that had been a part of his life and this is not the response we see at all this son who is coming back to the farm that is coming back to his father is coming back weary completely beat down more than likely wearing pig slop all over his clothing, which I would have to tell you at this point, when he was told to go feed the pigs, that was a detestable thing because pigs were unclean animals. So he was doing a lowly job. So here he is with all his humiliation upon him, weary, broken, coming from this failing thing that happened in another country. And he isn't fully home yet. And as he staggers on the horizon to come back to his father... The father sees him and runs to him. He doesn't even give it a second thought. It doesn't say that the father stood there and thought many thoughts before he received his son. He saw his son and he took pity on him. And in his suffering, he ran to the son. And he said, let's celebrate. You're back. You're back. You're finally home. He was his son. And his return was more important than the circumstances that caused him to leave. And what is even more crazy is that he receives items upon his return that really show his position and acceptance from the Father. He gets a robe which signifies distinction, a signet ring of authority, sandals like that of a son because slaves or servants in this time went barefoot. And that fattened calf, because man, were they going to party? Because the son had finally returned. Doesn't God do this with us? Doesn't he bring us into his dominion and we become co-heirs seated with him? We don't deserve what we're receiving on, our, on God's behalf. It's what God does. He's a good, good father. That's who you are. Who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am, that's what I am. That is his position towards us, that he always wants what's best for us, that he always cares for us, even when we don't feel it. So that when we come to him and we're weary and we're broken and we're hurting and we're in pain and we feel that we have nothing else to give, he embraces us and brings us back to his table. And that's true for anyone that trusts in the name of Jesus. They were welcomed back as a son. 
Because our Father, who has permitted us to do our own thing, who had great patience to see us return, gives us what we need, not what our actions deserve. God receives us with our myriad of garbage and junk. And I remember sitting at a Bible study with a rugged homeless man, just his gnarly beard and, and hair. And when we were talking about salvation, he looks at us all and he says, I gave my whole ass over to the Lord. And while I could have stopped and been irritated by what he said, and while I could have let that shake me and say, you know, I don't know if a Christian would say that if they were saved. I didn't think of that. I thought about meeting him where he was at because here's a son that is desperately coming home to see his father. And the same way that the father will receive him is the same way that I am to receive him. And that is holy, completely as he is, without discussing the things about him that I do not like. Because the father doesn't do that when we come to him. We see no example from Jesus in his encounters with the people in the New Testament, as he's talking about what the Father's kingdom is like, he doesn't say, remind them of their sin and offer them in. He doesn't do that. And we aren't to do that either. I'm reminded of Psalms 103, 13 through 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The compassionate Father gives us what we need and not what we deserve because he knew even in our greatest effort, we needed the Father and couldn't do it on our own. Just as the Father in the story of the prodigal son knew that his son, that even permitting him to do what he did and even having patience and him coming home, that outside of him, he couldn't do it. And that everything he needed for provision was found in the Father. The fourth thing I want you to notice this morning is that a compassionate father's compassion is unwavering. Just as the father in this story's mind was made up and he raced to receive his son, God's mind is made up about us when we approach him. We are the ones who waver. God is not. As the story draws to a close, we see a very angry older brother, and he makes many valid claims about how the younger brother has acted. He was ready to throw all the disgusting things that the son, the younger son had been a part of in his face and to let his dad know this celebration shouldn't happen and this is why. And every single reason he gave was valid. But I believe that when Jesus was telling this parable originally and as the tax collectors and Pharisees were sitting around in earshot, he is speaking God's word to the Pharisees about what his kingdom's like. And he wanted them to hear that this message is not just a message for the people that do right and have always done what I've asked them to do. But this is a message for those that have felt they have done nothing right. The compassion is for those that have nothing to give and can't do anything right. It isn't about the mess the son made. It's about the return. The father welcomes his son in because he looked at him and had pity and mercy on him for his fallen position. Look at the last two verses, Luke 15, 31 through 32. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because like this brother of yours was dead. He is now alive. He was lost and found. A compassionate father's 
compassion is unwavering. The thoughts of others do not determine or sway the way the father feels about his children. I kind of think about when we're in relationship with other people and somebody comes to your parent and tells them how awful you are as a child and your parent's protective nature comes out and they say, that's not my child. The moment we have come to Jesus with all of our junk, with all of the hurt, with all of the baggage and all the things that come with it, he says, when someone comes to accuse his children and say, this is who that person is and this is their nature, Jesus stands in front of that person before the father and he says, that is not my child. That is not the nature of my child. My child is a new creation. If it isn't evident at this point, the father in this story is God. God is the compassionate father we need. He continues to allow us to go through teaching moments to see if we will choose and trust him. He is incredibly patient with us. And at any moment we turn, we receive the compassion and forgiveness that we have not earned and do not deserve. But he freely gives. What's even more incredible, there is not one opinion can change the way that the father feels about us. Just as this father there was nothing that was going to stop him from celebrating the return of his son. It's at this moment when we see that we have tried everything and anything, but outside of the Father, it will not work. And he's ready to bring us in without drudging up the things that we hate about ourselves. As we see the Father and how he has cared for us, we are to emulate this to our children. We can do no better than imitate The compassion and love the Father has shown us to our children who come after us. Because they will get a true glimpse of the compassion and the kindness of their loving Heavenly Father. And they will have no other option than to worship Him because of how good and true He is. So what do we do with all this information? The first thing is to look for moments to teach your children. What are the opportunities that have presented themselves in the lives of your children? Two, have conversations with your children about the pros and cons of life decisions. Don't be too embarrassed or too shocked. Your kids might say a lot of weird things. Mine do. Just listen and offer to pray. This will lead to so much freedom and only in your children's lives. Will they experience freedom when the Father has allowed them to have the freedom to talk to Him? And that will give you freedom too as you raise them. Two, in patience, pray and seek God on behalf of your children. As we were talking about, as the the Father was well aware of the acts and the things that were being committed by His Son in the story, He didn't go chasing after Him, but He waited and He cried out and He mourned. And I I'm asking you to do the same with your children when they have walked away. It is not weak to be patient. God has been incredibly patient with us. So we need to show that same patience to our children. The third application step this morning is to meet sorrow with mercy. I cannot tell you how many times working with the youth at the coffee oasis where youth have already been loaded up in their minds and in their hearts, where they come in and they're all slunched shoulders and they know no better and they feel awful about themselves. 
because they've been told that they were worth nothing their entire life. Our children don't need to be reminded of how awful they can be. They need to be reminded of how great God is and how he sees them. Meet their sorrow with mercy and compassion. The other night I was driving the youth home from work and I was giving him a ride home and as we were riding he had talked to me about how his life with his parents was so rough and he felt that he had non-existent parents. And to that I was very, very sad. And I wasn't joking, but out of nowhere I said, I'll be your father. And that youth said, bet. And what he was really saying was a slang word, meaning sure, okay. But after I did that for him, we were able to talk for a couple weeks. And what he said was that he had a baby on the way. And that he didn't know what he was going to do because he was jobless. And he was so young, only being 18 years old, he had no idea how to do any of the things that he needed to do to set himself up to be a father. And that his girlfriend's parents hated him. And little by little, as I showed him compassion and I took this fatherly role in his life, he was able to share more and more with me. And it became a well spot or a, or a, or a spring of, of freedom and a spring of just this compassion and restoration for him. When one of your kids comes to you in honesty, encourage that behavior by listening and praying. Four, and the final thing that I want you to hear today is to let your compassion be unwavering. We came to God broken, empty, and weighed down by sin. And I'm sure a lot of people had opinions about us when we did. But God in his great compassion and mercy saw past it. Allow your children to experience your compassion time and time again and remind them that your compassion is just a small sample of how compassionate their heavenly father is. We need compassionate fathers. We need fathers who are going to look for moments to teach, who are going to be patient, who will continue giving the need rather than what is deserved. We need fathers who are committed to unwavering compassion. As we imitate the Father's compassion for us in relationship with others, let us not forget to rejoice in the midst of restoration. Happy Father's Day, Refuge Church. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you are so compassionate and kind, God, that when we came to you empty and worthless and beat up, God, that you restored our sense of worth, Lord, because we're not worthless to you. Because we are your sons and we are your daughters. God, as we talked about fathers this morning, make us like this father and the prodigal son that is permitting his children to learn and who is patient and who receives their children upon coming back and giving them what they need, Father, and not wavering in the compassion. Help us to repeat this as many times as possible in, our, in the lives of our children that they may see you. We thank you, Lord. We ask that you would bless us this morning. In your name, amen. Uh, Friends, to close out our morning together, I'm going to read the um, benediction for the Refuge Church. And uh, we encourage you today to really rest and dwell in the compassion that God showers on us every day. As we get filled up with that, um, we can share that compassion 
and shine it onto those around us. So uh, friends and those watching in Refuge Church, we invite you to incarnate King Jesus in city life, speaking its language, sing its rhythms, share its spaces, free the oppressed, fight injustice, find people of peace, and be part of inviting the city into the kingdom of God. We love you.